some of the thoughts uh, God has been working in my life through this text. So, Matthew 9, part, uh, starting on verse 35. It says there, it reads there, uh, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep without no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. How many of you, you know, having attended church, whatever time you have been doing this, um, have considered a career in pastoral or missionary ministry? This church does support many families around the world. Um, and these missionaries are spread out in, you know, different corners and, and with different purposes. Some of them translate the Bible, some of them plant churches, some of them work in seminaries, some of them work with uh, natives and, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. And you even have some wild, bird, wild birds here like that work with camp, you know. Uh, it's amazing to see all of that coming together for you. So you are exposed to a lot of things that happen. Um, they come here, I imagine, every year from what I've been reading through the bulletins over the course of the past four years. Um, and they tell you what God is doing in that side of the world, what's happening. And last March, uh, last year, I mean, 2016, I had the privilege of leaving Brazil and for three weeks going into Mozambique. I don't know where, if you know where Mozambique is, but if you think about the African continent, it's, it's the country above South Africa on the east coast. Okay, it's a huge country. Um, and I went there because they are one of the 14 nations or places in the world where Portuguese is spoken. They were colonized, like us in Brazil, by Portuguese, by Portugal, and uh, therefore they, we all speak the same language. Uh, and I was, you know, the missions committee knows this from past years, I have always been intrigued on what is camp doing in those other nations that speak Portuguese. Uh, from what I gathered from past international encounters, Brazil is the one that's most advanced in camp ministry, you know, on all these other Portuguese-speaking nations. And we have books published, we have trainings, we have different stuff, consulting jobs, and, you know, I wanted to find out what Mozambique has. What are they doing? And in fact, one of our uh, members, uh, an organization that has a ministry in Mozambique, they are situated in Brazil, but they have a ministry in Mozambique, they invited me to come and see their camp, or what they call the farm. You know, it has even a crocodile in the river. I was so envious of them, you know, just, <laughs> oh my goodness, if I had a crocodile. But um, when I went there, I wasn't prepared for what I would find. And they told me, you know, why don't you take airplanes? You, you fly from Maputo, the, the capital, to Shimoyu, which is the city that I was going to, and then you can find fly to Beta, the other place I was going to, and, you know, avoid ground transportation. And I said, well, that's 
what, what fun is that? You know, not going on ground transportation. They have there what they call the chapa, which is kind of a minivan that you pile 14, 15 people inside with the, the suitcases on top and it's fun. You know, everybody's sweating together because there is no air. Uh, you know, what fun would it be to fly in a comfortable chair? You know, I need to experience this, uh, what it is to be in Mozambique. And I tell you, it was the first country that I ever felt I was in a different planet. I was wiped there. I, you know, really, really, they thought, you know, with this height, this last name that you have, and, you know, the looking white, you, you're probably American or you know, German or something. Uh, but I wasn't from their country. And uh, I got to see some of the things that happened in that country. Um, I got to see, um, you know, their poverty, their hunger. I, I just came in a time when they haven't had rain for the past four months or something like that, so all their crops had died, so they didn't have anything looking forward after that. And they were very concerned about that. A lot of sickness going on. Um, one thing that I wasn't so aware about is that there is a civil war going on in that country. I knew that you know there were rumors about it, but not to the point where the bus has to be stopped and be ex escorted by the army to a certain portion of the, the, the country. So I wasn't, you know, I, I thought it was adventurous. It was great, you know. You can't tell stories now about it. But it was very interesting to even see what that poverty, what everything that's happening to those people has caused to them. Like, you know, even the, 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 the army officers and people that were there that stopped the bus and everything, they wanted bribes. They wanted help. The bus had barely left Maputo capital, you know, in a, uh, about 15-hour trip that I was going to take. And um, it was like we stopped at least 20 times just for the, the bus driver would stop next to a police car and something would happen and then we would continue the trip. But 20 different stops we did that first two hours. And then I found out later that the driver had a box next to him that he had separated different uh, quantities of money that he would just hand out. You know, the policeman would stop him and he would just hand out that to the, the guard and then he would let go. Um, and, but I also saw the beautiful side of Mozambique. With all that happening, you know, the Mozambican has the biggest best smile that you can see. Um, you go to their service and they're dancing. You know, I mean, half of the church, imagine this church having just half of the seats in the back there and then everything else here being clear. And, you know, they only had two drums and uh, I, I was thinking, you know, the pastor doesn't need that much space. <laughs> but what happened was when the worship team started with those two drums, Everybody got up from their seats and they came forward and started dancing and singing. And it was something, you know, for me, it was a different planet, just completely different. To see their, their smiles, to see their joy of being praising the Lord and, and listening to the word. Um, I had the privilege to, to talk to them, you know, in the Bible. Um, but it was 
it, it just troubled me, that whole trip. I visited three different friends, and it troubled me to see the lack of um, Bible schools, the lack of training for the nationals, uh, and better prepared leaders. And the thing that hit me the most was that there is almost no youth ministry happening in that nation. No youth ministry. There is, a, you know, two, three different camps that I visited that are, they're trying to do as much as they can, but otherwise there is no youth pastor in the church. There is nothing happening. They, they just uh, work together. And uh, the older generation doesn't understand and relate to the younger generation, so there is no, no link there, nobody to help that transition. This part of scripture for me um, comes after a progressive narration of, you know, Jesus going around and teaching different things. You have the Sermon on the Mountain, chapters 5 to 7, and then you have uh, chapters 8 and 9, which will talk about different healings and different things that uh, Jesus did as they, he's walking from village to village. In fact, verse 35 is the sum of all of this, previous chapters, you know. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching and the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease. So Jesus was getting involved with those people. He was getting to know each one of them and getting to find out uh, what's, what's happening in their lives. Um, in his eyes, after he does all of this, he compares them to sheep without a shepherd. Okay, this is a different topic, and I'm not going to get into that, but I, I was intrigued by that. At some point, I need to study a little more of the Word of God and find out, you know, I have questions like, does, does sheep really need a pastor? And what does a pastor do? And, you know, um, but this is a different topic. Uh, but anyways, what came across to Jesus was that they, uh, he looked at those multitudes of people that he was meeting, and he compared them to sheep without a pastor. They were scattered, um, which I, I'm told, um, I don't know much about sheep, um, but I'm told that they are, you know, animals that likes to stick together, and, and they don't live apart. So that's odd, you know, that's that, um, that they were scattered. And uh, also it says, you know, that they were faint and distressed, you know, and I kind of read a little bit about sheep to find out, you know, what does sheep get distressed about? About everything, you know. Any different animal, any different person coming close to them, anything will, will get them going. Uh, and there is reports of, uh, you know, a, a different part, I can't remember now the country where, you know, 400 sheep just, you know, one decided to jump over the uh, something and there was no bottom after that. And all of them followed each other, you know, and they, there was a big loss for that farm. So, you know, Jesus was looking at all these people and all that multitude, and he's perceiving this. You know, they're scattered. They're, you know, frightened about everything. Um, and uh, it seemed like maybe they were, those people were looking for guidance. It seemed like maybe those people were uh, needing some sort of protection. I don't know what was happening, you know, at that time. Maybe they needed someone who could spare a few minutes to notice them. 
and acknowledge that they were human beings. You know, that they were individuals who had worth, individuals who had talents, who could be beneficials, individuals who could beneficial and needed to be loved. Since that trip to Mozambique, I've been having my, my heart in trouble about that whole situation. I've been looking and thinking about the experience, the people that I met, and the things that I saw. And um, I, I was thinking, well, did my short trip there, did any impact on that, that time? The three weeks that I spent there, was it, was it helpful? And it was. At, at a certain point, it is helpful. But I, I think it's only to a certain degree. I believe that um, one of the ingredients that is missed in those short trips is that you don't really have time and opportunity to get to know people on a you know, person-to-person level, where you get to be involved in their lives, where you get to see what they go through and, and develop what Christ developed here. As he spent time with these people, something in him moved him to a compassion to those people. And he wanted to do something, and he acted on that. He would heal people, he would talk, and have good words, and help them in all different ways. Um, and then he looks to his disciples, not to the multitude, and tells them, you know, harvest is really huge, people. You know, why don't you talk to the, the Lord of this harvest and ask them for more help, more people to work with? I came in contact with three missionaries in, I mean, several missionaries, but three in specific in Mozambique. Uh, Tochi is a, a, a successful pastor uh, who was, you know, citywide known uh, where he was stationed in Brazil. And uh, at the age of 58, he and his wife decided to make a trip because they had missionaries in Mozambique. So he decided to go there and visit and, you know, spend time with them. And the Lord worked in his heart so much that he decided he was going to leave the church, of course, with the church blessing, you know, and sending, but he would going to dedicate the rest of his life in Mozambique. And I was talking, I was talking to them because they left kids behind in Brazil. Um, and what motivated you to, to do this? You know, what did you see? What happened to you? Because I'm having this impact already, you know, in this nation. And I want to understand what's going on with me. Um, and he did, he said, you know, I just couldn't sit still. I just saw the need here. I saw that there were other people that wanted my place in that city. You know, very few people wanted this place here. I'll come here. <laughs> and, and that's it. So he moved to Mozambique and he started a youth ministry there. He's helping in the city of Maputo, the capital, develop uh, uh, what's called the Word of Life uh, ministry. And he's growing with that there. And one of the, th the things that they're doing is they're doing camps in, in Mozambique. That's their way of attracting the young people. And they are, they are adapting, not the typical Word of Life camp that they do all over the world, but in Mozambique, they do a Mozambican kind of camp, which I love that. The idea is... You know, it's too bad I wasn't there during the time they were having a camp. But I love the idea of what they're doing. 
one of the times I was driving with Pachi around the, the capital, um, we were stopped by the police. You know, two white people in the car, you know, trouble. Um, and then uh, I heard Pachi talking to him something that, that kind of caught my attention, that he was saying, he was telling the police, you know, um, I'm here because I chose to be here. I'm not here on assignment. I'm not here uh, because, you know, I'm expecting to exploit the people here and leave your country, but I'm here because I love this country and I'm going to stay here as long as you guys allow me. Uh, Mozambique is a communist country. Um, uh, so I, I had to ask him, why did you say that to him? And he said, well, Ezra's in this nation, a lot of the Brazilian companies, a lot of Indian companies, a lot of Chinese companies come in here and they exploit the workers. They can get labels you know, much cheaper here. So they, they extract everything that they have of the land and they take outside of the land and the, the, the people end up not having much. You know, and, and I had to make clear for him, I need to tell him, I'm not here because somebody sent me here to exploit you guys and then leave. You know, he would treat me as any other Mozambican would treat foreigners because you're, they're so used to being exploited that they expect you to do that on them. Interesting things to find out. The second person I met was Josias. Um, at the age of 68, he, this successful uh, construction company owner from Brazil decided that he and his wife would leave Brazil and serve in Mozambique, teaching people there some agricultural uh, things, practices, and uh, how to build some things. Um, when they decided at that age, 68, to leave Brazil and, and go to Mozambique, all his friends, his church, and his kids were very discouraging to him. Why are you leaving at this age? Don't you see that mom is not in a better situation health-wise? Why are you taking her over there? Why are you guys moving at this age over there? You should stay here. We need to be close to you guys. And the, every way they talk, they try to discourage this couple. And yet, when you, you talk to them, they are so happy there in Mozambique and things that they are doing. You see the young people in Mozambique flocking to their house, you know, when we were there and talking to them and, and, and just, you know, having different things that uh, uh, Khaleesi uh, would make, you know, bake or something and would feed them. It was wonderful to see that interaction with the people. The third person was Roberto. Um, he and I went to the same seminary together in Brazil. And again, another successful pastor. And he decided, he went to Haiti, you know, when there was that big crisis there, they're still continuing, but at the beginning, uh, he was there helping with his church. And then he was so impacted by that work that he decided that I need to do more. I need to do, you know, get out of my comfort zone. So he and his wife decided there was a, uh, an opportunity to go to Mozambique and they decided to go there to become Bible school teachers. And um, this guy, he challenged me. After I was there, I had the opportunity to give a class to the seminary students about the Christian camping. And he told me, Ezris, we need somebody here at our school that will teach youth ministry. Can you come and stay here for two years, at least two years? Can you give me two years of your life? So all of that is working inside me. 
and it's troubling you. It's getting you to, to think uh, different things. I told the mission committee last night that you know when I came back from Mozambique, I said, well, I'm going to share this with my wife. And of course, she's going to say, oh, well, I came with you to Brazil, but Mozambique, that's it. You know, don't even think about it. And this godly lady told me, wherever you go, I'll go with you. If that's where God is leading us, that's where we should go. So I didn't have, I still don't have um, any excuse. But all of this experience, all of this year, almost a year and a few months that I, I keep thinking about Mozambique, it has raised me some questions, which I pose that those questions at the church we attend in Brazil. And I'm bringing them to you too. Why are there so keep few people listening and paying attention to other nations' needs? Why is that? It seemed like from all every most of the missionaries I met in Mozambique, they were about my age and older. I remember when I was much younger um, that the, a typical missionary that would go out is uh, a guy that would be just barely out of college. You know, and of course, a lot of mistakes we make at that age. But I don't see that happening anymore, are not as frequent. Even from Brazil, we d I don't see many missionaries leaving from there when they're young. Why is that? What's happening? Where are the, 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 the workers for the harvest? Where are they being produced or not being produced? You guys have a wonderful church. You support the work of God all over the world. You hear their hearts. You, you pray for them. You keep them going. You encourage them in so many ways. I don't know, I haven't talked, I didn't ask this last night, but when was the last time this church sent out somebody to a Bible school to become a pastor? Or when was the last time they sent out somebody to uh, prepare himself or herself to become a missionary? But my guess is that it hasn't been very long ago. Does the situation of how the, the fields are bother you? Are you coming in contact with enough people outside of the church that you see their needs? You're moved, your heart is moved to the idea that they are sh sheep without a shepherd. They are scattered. They are afraid. They are, you know, need somebody that can give them a few minutes at least of their, their day. Um, I just want to tell a little bit of my story. So I was a Christian, you know, Christian home and everything. Um, Went to camp, became you know somebody that was really liked to do that, and then I decided that I was going to attend seminary and prepare myself to become a full-time Christian worker. My parents are second-generation Christians. Okay, one of them really encouraged me about yes, you know, I knew that God would ask one of my kids to become somebody in his in his fields. I just didn't know who he was, so if it is you, you know, you have my support. The other parent told me, why are you doing this? 
Don't you see the missionaries? They're starving. They're always asking money. They don't have, don't you see, you know, uh, that and such and such missionary, the, how much they, health-wise, they are bad. You're not going to be able to keep up your family in the mission field. And that person was a discouragement to me. And I, reflecting about all of this, I keep thinking, so what's going wrong? Gone wrong with the, the, the Christian church? Why is it that we encourage or discourage people from uh, fulfilling their, the, the, the call for the field? One of the things that came to my mind, uh, and it's about going back again to my early years, we had a pastor, a missionary from New Tribes come to my church at a young age. And he was going, of course, to talk about his ministry. And then he had the opportunity to teach in our church. And at the end of the, the time he was there, and he was talking about the needs of the mission fields and how you know, there are so many tribes yet unreached in Brazil, so many people that haven't heard of God's love. And he said, you know, I'm not here to ask for your money. I'm not here to ask you to ask to pray for me. What I'm here is to ask you to send your kids to the mission field. And then he opened on this text in the Bible, Luke 12, 34. And he read, For where your treasure is, there will all your heart be also. And it made sense to me. If you send your kids to the mission field, guess what's going to happen? There won't be any lack of them. There won't be any lack of prayers. Because flesh of your flesh is there. And you want that, them to be, you know, well supported. That was a huge courage that I saw in that missionary to say that to our church. And what I want to leave with you guys is this. Where is your heart? Where is your treasure? I love the idea that the church is, you know, preparing them themselves to, to have a different congregation and have been able to reach more people and, you know, serve more people. And maybe perhaps in all of this planning, you know, as big as your heart is towards missions, you're going to adopt more missionaries to go. But I'm here this morning to challenge you to start thinking. You, young people, Maybe it is something you should consider, a career in pastoral or Christian work, missionary work somewhere. And you, grandparents and parents, am I encouraging my grandson, my granddaughter, my son, my daughter, to consider missions work as much as I would encourage them to become doctors and you know, become engineers and become all these things? Today I can tell you that that of a parent of mine is a great encouragement to me in work, in Christian work. But it took years. And if I had paid attention to that person, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So please pray about this. Consider getting more involvement in, in this ministry here in the community. You know, your uh, corn festival is coming up. Vacation Bible School is at the door as well. 
you have uh, camps, you have different projects. You know, I know Paul has been going to Alaska, Ecuador, and some other places. I know several of your uh, missions committees have traveled to different countries to visit your missionaries. Do that. I encourage you. Keep on doing that. And share with, with God. Is there something else we can do or we can encourage more people to consider that position? Maybe God wants you, even at the age that you are, to consider that as much as you would consider any other times in your life. So can we pray? Lord, I, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your example, how you model to us the whole idea of getting involved with people and keeping our eyes open and finding out their needs and finding out things that are so much lacking in this world. A lot of people need to hear about you, Lord. A lot of people need to feel loved, feel like they, they are children of God. And I just pray, Lord, that you will raise more laborers to your field. I pray, Lord, that you will guide us all into thinking in ways that we can be better partners. And that if there is people here in the congregation that are open to hear your call, that you make clear to them by giving peace of heart to them about getting involved in any one of these Christian ministries, Lord. I thank you for this congregation and for their worship and their decision to honor your name in this city. We pray in Jesus' name.